Good morning. Today's reading is Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10, the Macedonian call. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mesia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mesia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go, to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, good morning. It is uh, great to see you here this morning. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, just a, a heads up, I have a speech impediment. Um, it's always there on display for you when I say it. But uh, just so you know, as I preach, it'll kind of come in and out as we go, and I want to make sure that you uh, know what that is. It may or may not be informed or affected by heat stroke, but, um, you know, we can pray for some rain, right? Um, but uh, we're going to get into our time together here pretty quickly. Um, I will say, though, before we do, um, not to shame you or scold you, okay? Really glad you're here. But uh, it, I, I will say we um, are trying to start more, more quickly, right around 10 o'clock. And um, I know some of us, myself included, have been uh, struggling in this heat to get here and um, but just want to encourage us all, we're going to try to keep just starting getting going right at 10, especially because I feel really lonely in the front uh, row up here. And so I know when you come in late, you can't come join me. Well, you can actually. Nothing to prove and nobody to impress is something we say all the time here. And so just come right in, march in like you own the place and come up. And, um, uh, but anyway, just a, a little housekeeping, okay, a little family conversation. Amen. I'm going to call for some amens as we go. Again, if you're new, just so you know, because um, I just want to make sure we're all tracking together and in the, in the same place. So with that, we've got a lot to do to cover this morning as we continue in the series that we've been in in the book of Acts. Um, uh, Acts is, 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 uh, is written to display the mighty works of God. That word Acts means works, and it's the, the acts or the works of God in building and carrying out his ministry throughout the entire world. And so that's what we get to see every week as we come, and, and specifically as we get into our time in this book of Acts throughout this whole year, it's been to really see and respond to God and his works that are on display before us. And, and so with that, um, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. As D read, we'll be in verses uh, 6 through 40 this morning. So again, we got a huge chunk to cover, a tall task for a guy with a speech impediment, but we'll, we'll do it. Um, if you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up? Somebody will get you a Bible, and uh, we want to make sure everyone has a Bible to follow along with. So hold it up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you a Bible. And if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Y si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. 
Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 16. Um, I want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and follow along with and understand in their own language. And again, keep this, okay? This is our gift to you. We want you to have this and follow along and make it your own. And uh, as we get into our time again, seeing God on display as he carries out his mission throughout the entire world, let's go ahead and pray and ask him to oversee our time together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come before you wherever we are, even as we just sang in that historic hymn of the faith. This is our Father's world, and there's that call, that plea even to our very own hearts about the sadness that can creep in and the brokenness in the world around us. I pray that through the Holy Spirit whom you have sent, Lord, that you would turn our eyes to you, that we would, 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 yes, still be in the struggles that we are in, but that they would be informed and that we in turn would be transformed by the good news that you indeed are in control and that through faith in your son Jesus, we can call you Father and that every part of our life can be informed by who you are and what you have done on the cross and raising Jesus from the dead, and then from there, what you are now doing. So as we get into your word, as we look at your works, your acts on display, I pray that you will encourage us and that you will lead us to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, pick up with me right away. Again, we've got a lot to cover, so we're going to get into it together. Picking up in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, so they're going along, right? They, they've been carrying out this ministry. Just a real quick recap, because we're in chapter 16, and again, we began all the way back in chapter 1, is that after Jesus rose from the dead, right, he was crucified for the sins of all who would put their faith in him. And then God rose him from the dead. And then he spent about 40 days with his people, his church, those who had put their faith in him. And he was growing this thing, this ministry, this movement, if you will. And then right before he ascends to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, he tells his followers, his people, he says, I'm, I'm with you and I will return. And on un, un, Till that time, here's what I have in store for you. You're going to be my witnesses. Okay, you're going to carry out my work through the Holy Spirit, whom I will send. Right? He hadn't sent the Holy Spirit yet. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to fill you and to empower you and equip you to carry out my work, my mission, throughout the entire world. First in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then even all the way into the ends of the earth. And so that's where we are this morning. We start to see, or we see it continuing to go to the ends of the earth. And this morning we get to see for the first time ever a history world-shaping event where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, goes to Europe from Asia. Now let me say just for a moment, okay, let me pause and we have to do this from time to time because in our day today, right, a lot of people, uh, many of us even perhaps, we think uh, the gospel or Christianity or evangelicalism or, you know, whatever it might be, that's an American thing. And if not that, maybe before that, like we know some history, we know that it came here from, you know, from Europe, right? And we just assume, oh, it's a Western deal. No. Like, remember where it, it started, Jerusalem, and then we saw this incredible movement go in what is modern-day Syria, 
right? Not really where we think of as like one of the birthplaces or the launching grounds of Christianity. Went from Syria to modern-day Turkey, and now today it goes even, even into the crazy pagans of Europe, my ancestors, maybe many of us in this room. So you see God's work, God's mission, God's movement beginning in those places that maybe today we don't consider as belonging to God and being where he's working, what he's beginning his work. But it does, and then it goes into Europe. And just a couple things you'll even notice for the first time as we start to read as well. Today, you see that um, the author, Luke, who, again, quick recap, Luke and Acts go together. So the gospel according to Luke, and then he also wrote Acts, written to the same person and uh, the- Theophilus, and so he's, and so Luke will start to insert himself into the story a little bit. He's a little bit of a mean, mean monster, right? Some of us know those people. It's always got to be about you, right? But he, no, he, but he, 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 he shows that he's involved, that he's there, and so certain places he'll say we, and then other spots he'll say they, and he goes in and out of that, and yet you see, just in case you're confused, like, wait, we, all this stuff, is Luke is now a part, he's a traveling companion of Paul. He's a doctor, and perhaps that's why Luke, um, Paul has some ailments, but either way, he's a traveling companion, okay? So now the author, Luke, is with them, okay? So just so we're all clear here, but something kind of crazy is going on here. Like, we did read that right. It says in verse 6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then it says again that, that uh, they, were, they were passing on, and uh, the Spirit of Jesus, so that's the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent, did not allow them. And then it says, right, they, there was a vision, a dream, and uh, they, and then they, they, that Paul had, and then picking up in verse ten, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately it says, "We again, Luke and the gang sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them." So right from the start here, what we need to again see this is the acts of who? God. Okay, though in the beginning of. Acts, for most of us, it says the Acts of the Apostles, and I don't want to get into it. People a lot smarter than me wrote that and did that. And it's, but lest we forget, this isn't about the people. It's not, you know, about Peter and then Paul and all these people. This is different characters that come in and out that are participants in the mission of God and what he's doing. And so what we see even here is that God is moving his people around, all right? God's carrying his, his gospel, his good news forward. And, and yes, he's been working in Asia and all kinds of incredible things have been happening. And then he says, I'm going to stop this here because you're going to stay here for a while and, 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 and I'm going to move you into Europe. And from their perspective, I think they see rightly God's doing something in my life. I've been doing this, and now he's sending me here. Okay, I don't want to take like a sharp right turn and instantly go to, you know, application for us in our day today, but I, hopefully some things are coming to mind for some of us in this room where we wonder what our trajectory is. We have some college students in here. Normally we have a lot more, right? But we've got some of you who hung out, who dug down and stayed with us throughout the summer. Good for you. Thank you. You're tough. Um, and, 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 and you're considering, right, what do I do next? And then others of us have maybe been on a trajectory, our family, we thought we were set, we thought the next 40 years would look the same, and then all of a sudden, we're in a new place, God's doing something new, 
And let me just say for all of us, right, we don't know what's going to happen down the road, whether it's tragedy, whether it's an opportunity, whatever it might be. There's incredible comfort in stopping and knowing that if you put your faith in Jesus, he calls you to be a part of his mission. And though there is uncertainty in that, there's ultimately foundational strong certainty we can have in knowing that he will lead us as he wills. And, there, and there's comfort in that, amen? And so this is God's mission that we see, and now we get to see that on display through three different circumstances, okay? Three different people from very different backgrounds will come to faith in Jesus, okay? The, the mission, the gospel going forward, people will respond in faith. Three different people from very different backgrounds, very different socioeconomic tax brackets, and yet it's the same result. The work and the ministry and the movement of God calling people to respond to him in faith and then being sent out and carried out to continue to carry on his mission. And so that's what we see. We see that through a fairly wealthy, faithful Jewish woman. And then we see God calling a very poor, oppressed slave girl. And then we see a hardworking, kind of blue-collar, faithless jail worker all having the same result of seeing the good news of Jesus and responding in faith and seeing the transformation that comes from there. So that's what we're going to walk through today is, again, it's God's mission and God is calling different people and it all leads to the same result. So pick up with me now in verse 11 where we see the ministry and the movement of God continuing to go forward. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Samothroas, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So a couple things that we need to notice here before we continue on and we see the, this one woman, this individual, Lydia, come to faith in Christ, we need to notice a couple things that's going forward, right? So they went to the synagogue, they went out to the place where they assumed that prayer would be. And we might not pick all this up in our day, we just kind of read and we think we're going along, okay, cool, so there's a bunch of wo women there, normal, right? They talk with these faithful women, well... In first century Judaism, uh, a, an astute reader, and we need to do some work, right, to understand where they're coming from, would be reading and would understand that in order for there to be a synagogue, there had to be 10 men gathered. That was the rule, that was the Jewish rule in that day, right? So they go and they assume, okay, of course, there are going to be some faithful men there that we can share with, that we can talk with, that we can help them connect the dots and see the whole story of God connected. These Jewish people, these faithful Jewish people will see that Jesus is the provision, that he is God's answer to all the promises he's made throughout the entire Old Testament. And so they assume there'd be some men there to talk to, but there aren't. There are a group of women gathered together. And again, this is something that we would just overlook and move on, but we need to pause and, and acknowledge and learn from and, and, and see, first of all, 
God is incredibly countercultural in many ways. God gives um, credit where it's due here. He, he, he talks about these faithful women gathering together to pray. Most people in that time would not have done that. Women weren't even considered to be um, you know, helpful participants in society. It was very, very much an, an oppressive community, an oppressive time, and yet you see that God's word um, esteems and affirms the humanity of even these women, and it goes on, and, and, and he tells about this specific woman kind of who's, who's helping to lead among them, and let me just pause here, and, and we can't go too far into this, but let me acknowledge that it's not too far from our day today, that many of us grew up in churches or in homes or in places where women, faithful women, stepped up and led because, like in that place, the men were absent. And this, and this commentary here is not, you know, oh, shame on these women or anything like that. It's an, it's an acknowledgement that the men were absent where they should have been leading. They should have been laying their lives down for those that God had entrusted to their care. They should have been taking the, the lead, and yet they weren't. They, they went AWOL like many of the men in many of our lives, and sadly, even many of the men in the church today. And so for those of us who are here, I just want to pause. As I read this, I didn't know all that. As I dug into some commentaries and I read that, a couple things I want to acknowledge. One is thank God for godly, faithful women. Amen. We have many in this church, and and we are so thankful um, for you. And we need you. We need to learn from you and to grow alongside you. I was raised by a, a faithful single mom who, 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 who worked multiple jobs sometimes and, and worked way below her education and her intellect to, to provide for us and, and took all kinds of chances and even moved me from Arkansas to here um, by herself to, to help me get a, a, a good opportunity. And yet that doesn't take away from the fact that there still is this glaring reality of men not stepping up to be the men that God's called us to be. And so men, I just want to speak to us here, all of us, that this, Lord willing, is a safe place for us to learn how to be men, to learn how to be godly men, in, according to Scripture, even Christ-like men, who would lay our lives down for the good of others, who would not consider authority or influence something to be grasped or something to benefit ourselves, but instead something to give away and to lay down for, for anyone else that God might have entrusted to our care and our families and our church and our workplaces, whomever it might be. And so for those of you who grew up like me without a man to look up to, th- this isn't shame on you men, you know, step up, grow out a beard, you know, let's go kill animals and learn how to be men together. I got a beard, so... Um, so if you want to be a real man, you know, no. Uh, but sometimes that's how it goes, right? But no, what this means is we come humbly before God and we acknowledge we need to learn who you have called us to be as your image bearers and what it means to be like Christ. And so we come humbly and expectantly, and, and, and I want us to know that this is a safe place, not a safe place to just sit idly by to continue in the themes and the trends of the culture around us and of the family line that some of us have come from and to abdicate the responsibility God has given us, but a safe place to come and say, I don't necessarily know how to do this whole thing, but I I, I know that the spirit whom Jesus has sent will empower me and equip me in the community that he has provided and the word that he has given will shape me into the man that I'm called to be. 
And, and I guarantee that the women, those who are faithfully leading and present, will be thankful for that. Amen? And so now, back to this part of that, that, that we, we, we can't have missed that. He calls this one faithful leader, Lydia, and she comes to faith in Jesus. Now, something to acknowledge here is that she's a faithful Jewish woman, She's religious, right? She's doing the right things according to what she knows. She's there. She's learning. She's growing. She's observing all the Jewish law. And yet, she still needs to put her faith specifically in Jesus. So even as God comes in here and breaks into this Jewish place, and there, is, there are faithful religious people here, it doesn't mean that they don't still need the gospel, Okay, as I mentioned, I came here from, from Arkansas. That's like the, like the Bible belt, right? The buckle of it. It's right in the middle of it. And you met a lot of people. Everyone there is Christian. Everyone there is a good Christian. Everyone goes to church on Sunday, does their thing, you know, all these things. And, and, and yet, in so many cases, there is no evidence of saving faith in Jesus. And so perhaps even some of us here today think, oh, I'm a good religious person. I go through all, I show up, right? I'm, I go to church. I, and, and, and yet, no, you see here that she needs to hear the saving grace of God through the person and work of Jesus and put her faith in him specifically. And that's what happens here. Again, a seemingly new thing, right? That's been the theme throughout all of Acts. This, this seemingly new thing is actually really old. And, and, and so Paul connects the dots and he shares the good news of Jesus. And it says there that right uh, in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. And we'll learn later that, she, that, 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 that God continues to use her mightily, that in fact the entire church in Philippi meets in her house. She's a woman of privilege. She's got an incredible business going on. She, she sells and dyes different threads and all kinds of cool things are you know, happening there. And this specific area was known for their, for their work in threads and in yarn and sewing and things like that. Obviously, by the way, I'm talking about not something I know a whole lot about. But uh, most people would know, again, as you read through this, you'd know, oh yeah, that's an area where that was really good. And she apparently was really, really good at her job, right? It would be like in our day, you hear different places around the world that are known for, you know, certain things, right? Like Kansas is the bread basket, right? Like a lot of people grow wheat there. And, and you know, Silicon Valley is where there's tech, right? Beer pong, right? You think of Tempe. Like, they, you know, people know these things. And yes, I stuttered on that. Maybe God was trying to keep me from saying that, but I pushed through. <laughs> I'm sorry, got some ASU contingency here that are praying against me right now. But um, anyway, they were known for that, and they would know and they would see that she was a person of great privilege and influence, and yet look how she uses it, for God's glory and others' good. Amen? And that's what it looks like when you put your faith in Jesus. So God calls a wealthy, faithful, religious Jewish woman... And then he uses her as part of his mission. And then, picking up in this next section, we see it go on there that he now calls a uh, poor, oppressed, young slave girl. Pick up with me in verse 16 here. 
As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Well, that's a good thing to say, right? Like that, right? She's basically, pro she's right. She's proclaiming the gospel, but she's doing it in a really destructive way. And, and, and we learn here from the text that she was doing this in such a way that meant that she was being oppressed by a demonic spirit. And yet she's a slave girl. She's not free to do as she will. And so those that own her, if you will, those that are, who are responsible for her, those whose care she's under, they're using her for their own gain. And it says that she continued to, to do this for many days, and Paul became greatly annoyed. He turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So again, a couple things here that's going on. We'll get to this girl and where she came from and what happens in her, but notice what's going on here. Notice something, first of all. Paul's annoyed, right? I don't think it's completely um, that it's like a, a fly in, influencing his goings-on, and he's just sitting there, and he's like, get away from me, like, and he has no care and concern here. I think over time he, right, because she's saying good stuff. She's saying right stuff, but it becomes destructive. It becomes distracting, and over time, Paul, because he's so dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? We've seen that in the fact that he was even sent to Europe, right? They, they were trusting in the Spirit to lead as they went, and so still in that place, he's like, oh yeah, man, this girl's saying good things. She's saying, she's saying God-honoring things, and then over time, again, he discerns through the Spirit, this is destructive and distracting, and so he turns, and he addresses this demonic activity head on, and he says, in Jesus' name, go away. And let me remind us, because in our context today, right, some of us who spent some time in Guatemala for a week, and even in that time, some of others of us have spent time all around the world, and we've had perhaps more um, more obvious or explicit exposure to the demonic realm and to spoon spiritual attack and spiritual warfare. But remember that the enemy, as he's often referred to, his objective is not to scare us, but to impede us. Okay, his objective is not to show up like the boogeyman and, you know, have green eyes and spit out pea soup and turn his head around and always make us know who he is, but instead is these are spirits, demonic spirits sent to impede, to stumble, to trip up the movement of God going forward, the proclamation of the gospel. And so some of us get freaked out by that. Okay, let me just say, most of us have interactions with more demonic activity than we even are aware of. Because I think in our context here today, we don't want to know this. We, we're in America, right? We have intellectual uh, capacity and ability. We don't mess with stuff like that that we can't see. If anything, we maybe look at things like, you know, paranormal activity or whatever, and we watch it on Netflix, and that's where we shape our theology about this stuff. 
but that's really dangerous. And then some of us, maybe like myself, went to maybe a more extreme charismatic context before, and so you hear about demonic exorcisms, and you think like you've got to have you know, flags waving and horns blowing and people doing somersaults across the front and speaking in all kinds of different languages and saying all kinds of crazy things and, 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 and just casting out demons. Well, from this, what we can learn right here, and if, I can't go into this too much right now, again, because we're covering a ton, but in my experience, like in this place, it's much more normal and yet much more authoritative and powerful that Paul simply turns and says, in Jesus' name, go away. I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out. Amen. And let me just again say, wherever you come from, whatever it might be, when we encounter demonic activity, sometimes we don't even know, I'll even say, I don't know if I'm experiencing a time of temptation or a, a, an unusually different time in my, in my sermon preparation or if I'm sharing my faith with somebody. And sometimes I think there's such freedom in being a child of God and knowing his control and his power and his authority that we don't have to get, have this whole formula and all these things. We can simply say this spirit of distraction, of oppression, of destruction, in Jesus' name, go away. I don't have to raise your voice. I don't have to just simply, I call on the name of the Most High God if you, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, I've also just gone there and just read that out loud. It simply displays and proclaims the good news that Jesus in his name is authoritative. He is preeminent over all things, over all spirits. Simply pray that and, and then move on. And the good news of Jesus and confidence and in boldness, amen? And so this girl, let's get back to her, she is dehumanized. Yes, she's under spiritual oppression. She's struggling. But also these people who have been in charge of her are using her for their own gain. Again, a direct contrast to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a leader, an influencer in any way under God's design. These people are using their power and their privilege and their influence and their authority and their employer status, if you will, to push others down for their own selfish gain. And so they're angry, right? Picking up in, um, in verse 19, but when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, okay, they're not concerned about this girl. They're concerned about their wallets. When they saw that that had gone, it says that they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace before the ruler's and they brought them before the magistrates. They said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And then essentially going forward there, they get the whole crowd joins in. They get beat up. And they get thrown in prison. Okay, a couple things before we move on there, because again, God's mission is continuing to notice the ramifications of God's mission. Okay, look, look at me right now, because we need to get this. When Jesus breaks in, okay, when the gospel takes over, everything changes. As one of my seminary professors and an author, Mike Goheen, explains that, 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 that the gospel, the mission of transformation and restoration of all things, takes place on a cosmic level and on a communal societal level, and on an individual 
level. Sometimes we only acknowledge it on an individual level. But there are benefits and difficulties that come out of submitting to and embracing the good news of Jesus. In this case, there's an economic impact. And and you better believe that the structures and the powers that be on a human level and on a spiritual level aren't happy about it. And they push back. Because the kingdom of this world, okay, which in a nutshell is not God, is everything the way we want it to be, is for selfish gain, is no thanks God, we don't want to live according to your will and your purposes and your ways, though God said I create all people in his image, in my image, God says, in the image of God, male and female, he created them and then he gave the mandate, he said live all of life for his glory and our good, that our identity and our purpose would be shaped and informed by our relationship with him, sin enters in to the world and everything is affected and infected by sin. And that's what the kingdom of this world, the structures that be, if you will, in every little facet of life has been tainted or distorted by sin. So when the gospel breaks in and brings restoration and healing, it's not just on an individual personal level here. It starts to impact society in all kinds of ways including people who have been in bondage are now humanized. This girl has been dehumanized, used, and abused. And the good news of Jesus informs her identity and her purpose. Amen. But, but, but it's not always easy. It's not just, oh yeah, now we go on. It's other people have been gaining and benefiting from this sinful, distorted way of life. And they're not happy about it. My, uh, maybe something that connects with us more closely in our day uh, today, my wife um, sometime last year had an opportunity to meet a gal, a college gal here at the U of A, who had gotten herself involved in a really unhealthy, really unsafe place. She had started to uh, do exotic da- dancing. And it happened pretty easily. It happened because she got into a car accident. She didn't want her mom to know about it. And so um, one of her friends said, hey, I know a way to make a quick buck, right? It's easy, like whatever, like just come and dance and make some money. And she got into that. And she didn't know, like we know through partnerships we have with different ministries like for he ever after, that fights against human trafficking, sex trafficking, and it knows that, that pornography and exotic dancing and all these things are on the same path toward human slavery. And it's very real and very present in our day. Demonic activity, horrible abuse that people are getting selfish gain by keeping other, the most vulnerable in our society. Young women, young girls, just like this girl here. And, and yet, like, the... Even maybe some of us are like, oh, what's the big deal? You know, we go to Vegas for a bachelor party, right? Boys will be boys. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And we, we think all these, these different things and we don't see, we don't hear the stories of how, no, those people in many cases are enslaved in bondage to, 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 in many cases, drug addiction, even forced drug addiction. And then from there sold into prostitution and then even to slavery, 
And it's real, and it's ugly, and it's demonic, and it shows up in all different ways, including um, an, another way this shows up. I didn't plan on going into this so much, but guys, like, we need to have the veil, the blinders removed to see this stuff happening in our day, and to know that there's a, a pushback, there's a struggle going on. Like, um, same-day predatory l- l- wending is another example of this, that people, whole families are in bondage and enslaved to systems and structures that they've given themselves over to, and we see these bright, fancy signs that says, you know, it's easy, come and, you know, come and get some money right now, today, and these cycles of, 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 of oppression, of poverty continue on, and it's modern-day slavery, And it's the same thing going on here. And so when the movement of God, the good news of Jesus, breaks into such broken places, it's good and it's difficult. And in this case, that's what happens is these people are persecuted for it. Paul and Silas and Luke, who was with with them, are persecuted. And Paul and Silas are, are thrown in jail. And yet, whose mission is it? It's God's mission, and look how he even uses this to continue on his work. Now, pick up with me in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. So again, they're in jail. They're singing hymns to God. I don't think that's like an arrogant, like they're just standing there like with their chests out, and they're just singing. It's like they're giving like the spiritual middle finger, right, to all the people that threw them in jail. Some of us have never heard that phrase before, right, spiritual middle finger, but... Come on, right? We all think in those ways sometimes. We just don't call it like it is. Some of us read this, I do, and think, oh, they're just standing there arrogantly. You're going to throw me in jail? I don't care. I'm not faced. As I read more, I think they're actually in a point of desperation here. And they are saying, God, we don't know what else to do but to turn to you. And so they're singing hymns and they're praying and the prisoners are listening to them. And suddenly a great earthquake took place so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Okay, so they're set free, right? They could, just, they could just take off. They're free. And yet, God has a plan for this particular jailer. In verse 27, this jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because in that day, If you were in charge of some prisoners and whatever happened, if they got set free, if they went away, then you might as well kill yourself because you're going to be put to death. It's it's shameful, and and this jailer knows that, and he's about to put himself to death. And then verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And we'll get back to that part. But acknowledge again, Paul and Silas are so in tune with the Holy Spirit. They know this is God's mission that in other cases, they were in jail, right? Peter was in jail one time, and something similar happened, and they're like, all right, we're out of here, peace. And they just leave, and they go, and they continue on, and they pray, and all these different things happen. But in this case, they're so in tune with the Spirit that they stay because God directed them to stay, and they didn't just think selfishly about themselves, but they knew that God had a mission and a plan, and it involved him calling this jailer, this blue-collar public city worker to himself. And so they stay there, and they don't leave, and this jailer is dumbfounded by it. 
And again, this jailer is not looking for Jesus. Okay, earlier we saw a faithful Jewish woman, right? She just needed the dots connected, like maybe some here today, some religious people. And then there are other people like this poor slave girl who's oppressed and persecuted and she needs to be rehumanized, have her eyes open to the good news of her identity and her purpose restored by faith in Jesus. And then some are like this guy. I think a lot of people come to mind for me, the men in my life, my dad, my stepdad, other men in my life, who are probably just hardworking, blue-collar, wake up in the morning on Monday and kind of, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just look forward to Wednesday because it's closer to Friday and then be a weekend warrior and just go on. And you're not looking for Jesus, right? You're not out there. You're not listening to, you know, K-Love on the radio. You're just whatever. And then God comes crashing in. Different circumstances, but always the same result. In this guy's case, he's not looking for Jesus, and yet Jesus comes and finds him by this incredible, miraculous event. This earthquake happens, and then Paul and Silas stay counterintuitively. This guy's blown away that they're still there. And he says, again, picking up in verse, uh, verse 30, 31, he says, believe, or they, they're, and they tell him, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Again, similarly, like in the first story we saw, God sometimes breaks into a whole family through one person. That happened with Lydia, and it happened here again with this jailer. He puts his faith, and he can't help but to go and tell others. And I know there are some families in here that are similar, that this kind of thing is happening or has happened. So he goes, and, he, he and his whole family believes. And also notice, I just want to point out that he's baptized he waits until it's really, really convenient and until he feels like it's the right time and everything aligns just how he wants it to be and he gets baptized. Is that what happens? No. Immediately, he responds in faith and in obedience. Again, if there are people in here, I know there are, that as we have baptism services, we're, we'll do it every Sunday. We are willing. We can't do it on the spot right here because we got a trough right below here in the little boiler room. Some of you didn't know we're sitting on top of one of those. We got a boiler room here. It's cool. And we go down there and we got this trough and we bring it up here and we'll, we'll use it on whenever we can, whenever we need to, because baptism is a gift a reminder to God's people that when you put your faith in Christ, you're transformed. You're now dead to sin and raised again to new life through faith in Jesus. And so this guy is baptized and he, and he rejoices, right? Moments before this, he was about to kill himself. He wasn't a seeker, okay? Quotes like, he's simply someone responding to the good news of Jesus, and this, this whole section ends, verses 35 through 40. I'll just kind of bring us to a close with that. That this cycle we've seen throughout the entire book of Acts, 
This incredible movement of God going forward from the very beginning. God, the creator of heavens and earth, his, his creation, his prized possession, his people and every facet of life has been hijacked and has been broken by sin. And then Jesus comes breaking in and, 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 and he incarnates, he takes on flesh and then he dies on the cross and puts sin to death through his death and then he's raised victoriously from the dead and then he proclaims and declares that he will make all things new and he commissions his people to carry out his mission and we got to see it here through a wealthy, faithful Jewish woman, a poor, oppressed slave girl and a hardworking, faithless jail worker who all come from very different circumstances but all come to the same place, the same place where we are here today, responding to the person and work of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can respond to you now. Lord, I trust that your spirit is overseeing our time together. I don't know every story here in this room. I don't know where everyone is coming from, but you do. Lord, you knew the faithful Jewish woman. You knew the oppressed, broken slave girl. Lord, you knew the hardworking, faithless jail worker. And in a very different way, you broke into each of their lives and you revealed your gospel. So Lord, we trust that you are doing the same to us here today. Wherever we're coming from, for some it needs to be a restored encouragement a reminder, a returning to you. Lord, for some, for the first time, means placing our faith in you. It means t- turning from sin and turning to grace, turning to forgiveness, turning to Christ. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us appropriately, however you see fit, or to respond individually and communally. In Jesus' name, amen.